0: Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, I'm back here on the Investor Coaching Show. I'm Paul Winkler talking money and investing. so the sec vote they're voting on a rule to curb misleading fund names was the article in think advisor it's a financial planning publication and written for financial advisors and it was talking about How the Securities and Exchange Commission plans to consider a final rule to address certain broad categories of investment company names that are likely to mislead investors about investments and risks. You know, so when you're investing, sometimes the only thing you've got to look at is the fund name, and you may not know what else to look at. And you may not even know, you know, what any of the fund names mean, quite frankly. But uh, they have these proposed, amendment or proposed amendments uh, that they're considering that include an enhanced prospectus disclosure is their solution. Now, <laughs> if you know anything about my stance on disclosures, uh, a lot of times I don't think that they're worth a whole heck of a lot. Because you know typically people are buying things from an advisor that in you know, sign this, sign this, sign this, sign this, sign this, and you don't even have a clue what you're signing. And you wouldn't know how to read it if you did know what you were, you know if you did actually go through and read through it you wouldn't even know what anything meant half the time and technically they often say you know this is supposed to be written to be in layman's terms so you ought to be able to get it but the reality of it is sometimes this stuff is not layman's terms no matter what you know or you know how much exposure to it or how much you read it you you still look at it and go. This is Greek to me. You know, they're talking about value here. They're talking about small cap. What's small? What's large? What's medium? What you know? Uh, what's the research on, on these different areas? And and how do we know how to determine these things? And that's exactly the problem that I have with this, and and the problem that they have, the SEC has with this. They're they're basically saying here that they have this, these disclosure. Uh, uh, term, the, the terminology of uh, disclosure regarding investment company names, as well as public re- reporting regarding compliance and new names related requirements and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's another thing I have a problem with. You know, quite frankly, you have a lot of firms that are subject to compliance requirements. They're just not abiding by them. And, you know, so you don't, and you don't know if, uh, you know, what they're, they're supposed to be disclosing because a lot of times they're, they're doing things behind closed doors and you don't have anybody sitting in the meeting with them, you know, from the regulators. And it's impractical. You can't have somebody from the regulators sitting in front of them and hearing some of the things that come out of their mouth that may be a bit misleading. I'll give you a really simple example. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people talk about annuity guarantees and, you know, guarantee funds and things like that. And, And people don't know that, you know, disclosing and talking about these guarantee funds because it's an unfunded type of an account, you're not supposed to do that. But people don't know it, you know, because that's not your area. And then the advisor says something and you're sitting there going, oh, okay, great. It's guaranteed, you know, and and you don't know that that guarantee is pretty tenuous. (laughs) Uh, So anyway... If we look at this and we say, okay, so what's going on here? The ICI, uh, Investment Company Institute, is uh, a trade group for the industry. They are saying, the person says, uh, spokesperson says, know, they know the rule would be incredibly costly, impacting 10,000 funds. I mean, it's, it is. It's going to be really costly to go do this. And the question is, will it help? Will people actually know what they're reading? Uh, the proposed rule, the spokesperson said, would even capture subjective terms like growth and value, which in the case of index funds are defined differently by different index providers. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, when you look at a mutual fund, and you say, hey, this is a value index fund. Well, what is the criteria? How is it determined that this is value? And it can be very, very different. You can be having one index provider looking at a certain segment of the market or a certain size, maybe the the bottom half of the market, whereas another one might be looking at the bottom 20% of the market from size. Huge difference. You know, you look at history. If you look at the bottom half of a market versus the bottom 20%, it can be a huge difference historically. Uh, if you look at value, what do we determine uh, is value? How do we determine it? Is there, are we using price-to-book data? Are we looking at the price of the companies compared to the book value or the assets minus liabilities? Are we looking at price-to-earnings ratios? Uh, You know, that's not something that I would personally like to look at because earnings can be high and low and they can go back and forth in a short period of time. And what's the problem with that? Well, if I have something where the earnings of the company go way up, let's say for a short period of time, and if we're looking at price compared to earnings, you know, so I'm looking at the P, the top line is my price. What price am I paying for the stock? And if the bottom number is earnings, and that's you know it's so what am i looking for if it's value i'm looking for a high earnings number compared to the price so i'm getting a lot of earnings for every dollar that i'm paying in other words that makes sense so if all of a sudden a company has a jump in earnings and a spike in earnings they look like a value company all of a sudden you know so that that's why that's a problem it may look like a value company one quarter and not like a value company in another quarter Was it determined to be a value company based on the index? Could be. It could be that you're looking at something and saying, well, this is a value stock fund. And you're saying, well, what makes it value? Well, the fund manager is looking for undervalued companies, companies selling for less than what they're really worth based on the earnings or whatever's going on in the company uh let's say you know how the the management of the company or the ideas or the things that are going to be coming about in the future or future projections on what the company's earnings are going to be you know so you look at that and go that's kind of like all over the place how do you determine whether it's value or not or how do you determine it's undervalued well that's that person's opinion you know and they say well it's undervalued i want to buy it well who are they buying it from Somebody that maybe think it's overvalued. You see? That person may be getting rid of it because they think the price is too high compared to the future prospects for the company. So it's really kind of crazy when you look at it that way that they're using these terminology and people don't even know what it means. They, you know, they hear value and they go, oh, I've heard Paul talk about value before. And you know, value historically has a higher return of growth and blah, blah, blah. And then you look at growth, that term. And you go, well, what's growth? Oh, is that a company that's growing rapidly? Yeah, that would be the academic definition. Uh, is a company that has a, um, well, it's it's more like what's the price compared to the book value? Again, I'm paying a high price compared to book value, is what growth would be from an academic standpoint. But you could have growth, you know, this company is growing rapidly. This has grow, great growth prospects, got a great future uh, projection, blah, blah, blah. And it may be totally irrelevant. You know, as far as what they're looking at in terms of what's the naming versus what's future expected return potential for that, because they're using a definition that isn't academic. You know, so that's what they're doing here. And this is, this is the challenge, you know, and can they fix this problem by just going and, and setting up another rule and saying, hey, there's another disclosure you got to pay attention to. My humble opinion is probably not. <laughs> As you you probably figured out right here, I'm just not really a big fan of thinking that the government is going to solve all our problems through disclosures, because we have more disclosures. I mean, look at the prospectuses and look at the paperwork. I remember back in the 1980s, there was a guy that was an insurance guy, and he was an insurance expert. And he says, hey, look, and he was talking about awards that insurance companies give for production. You know, if you sell enough annuities, you get awards. And if you sell enough life insurance, you get an award. And then he said, then you got all this paperwork, paperwork. And he says, they're basically plaque factories and, and you know, paper mills. is when the insurance companies are, is what he always say. He always complained about that. And he was funny. Uh, but he was right. I mean, it was like, you know, literally, you could get a plaque for just about anything that you could put up on your wall and how great you are, you know, million dollar roundtable. Uh, and then you could go in and, and, uh, and then you had a ton of paperwork for everything that you filled out that nobody ever read the disclosures that nobody ever read and they had no clue what they were buying so challenge listening to the investor coaching show right here on supertalk 99 7 WTN somebody's asking another question that um, that came in that I think I will spend a couple minutes on right on the other side of this break thanks for tuning in to the investor coaching podcast now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area and everything that we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call that's it every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience they're all degree planners they all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need so if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler. So if you got questions, of course, the uh, way to ask those questions, paulwinkler.com forward slash question. Or go to the website, paulwinkler.com. Under the podcast, you have the ability to ask questions there. So, um, you know, it's just... Whatever happens to be on your mind, you want to run by me, just do that. So this uh, question came in, and it was regarding something that a lot of people are talking about, the digital currency, the digital dollar, what's going to happen there. And uh, somebody asked this question, and they're wanting more clarification because I've done some episodes on this, and you can actually find things where I've talked a little bit about this what is the practicality of it why are they even talking about it other countries around the world all these different countries doing it uh, china actually implementing it to some extent with pushback which is really interesting in a country that has never been known to push back against leadership and they're suffering in so many different ways right now if you read the economist about china it's eye-opening uh, enough said i won't get into that right now but anyway so this uh, you know so it's just showing that even Countries where you've had, you know, the thumb of the the government has been on the people, it has been a, a big challenge. And this is where you know, there's all kinds of debate. Can we do this? Is there anything? You know, there are practical reasons that it would be helpful uh, from a cost standpoint and efficiency standpoint, uh, which I've talked about in previous segments. But anyway, uh, the question was this: Listen to the recordings that you had, Paul. Uh, what I've been hearing, reading is that when the U.S. federal digital Dollars activated uh, when it's activated all checks and cash will cease uh, possessions will get barcodes that are an ownership tag with monetary value be capped the amount of digital dollars possessions owned by the items value you'll not be able to have savings and, and so and I'm going to take each one of these uh, just for time's sake separately. Uh, you know, not read them all and then go through them. But the first one is that the U.S. federal digital dollar is activated. All checks and cash will cease. Well, you think about that, banks. they would That's where they're having a problem right now. Banks are really against this idea because it would make them obsolete in some ways. Uh, not always, but in some ways because the Fed can't handle everything. But the reality of it is there is an uproar already regarding that. And just think about the idea. So everybody took away your cash and your checks. I remember back in 2007-08, there was a lady that says, Hey, wouldn't mind make a change? And you have not the ability to, in my change that I'm proposing, you would have the ability to take your 401k and turn it in for a stream of income. Kind of like annuitize your 401k. And you just have that option. Well, this was a friend of Obama's. She was an NYU professor. And I talked about it back then. Had to hire bodyguards. Uh, This lady did. When they even brought up the idea. So number one, the backlash would be unreal. Uh, Next uh, paragraph, your possessions will get barcodes that are an ownership tag with monetary value. That almost reminds me a little bit. I I get this thing that I have to fill out the value of the things that we have in our office and pay taxes on it. So it's kind of already the case that you have ownership uh, where you're having a certain, you have to tell the government what you own, what you have in your business and pay taxes on it. So don't get me started there. But anyway, uh, you'll be capped on the amount of digital dollars and possessions owned by the item's value. I think the wealthy would have something to say about that, and they give a lot of money to political campaigns. Uh, that's basically talking about you know taking away all of assets and only saying you can have only so much i don't think that that would fly uh, you'll be able to have you'll not be able to have savings in investment accounts they'll be taken away digital dollars in your possession will have a limited time period if not spent in a specific amount of time those digital dollars will be taken away so basically what we're talking about here is communism and technically if we look in america it's like 61 percent of americans have ownership in stock so we're talking about a large group of people owning stock. Then you got like sixty-six percent of people own homes, and, and that's not even counting. I would guess the kids that would be living in those homes. So you look at it, at the population that you you're not, you can't have anything, you can't own anything, retirement, you can't do that. You're literally going against the the majority of the population which never really bodes well for politicians when you go against the majority of the population the end of the goal the the end goal of the government would be uh to in the future is to for the government or oligarchs to own all property and people rent or buy from the government specified companies you know amazon or walmart and you look at capitalism around the world that's the idea of communism and you you look at the 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 actuality of it it's capitalism isn't retreating it's actually expanding around the world there's some really really good videos out there uh, where you actually have the graphing of the growth in capitalism in various countries you just don't have communism expanding matter of fact communism like i talked about you look at china and it's in terrible terrible shape Uh, you look at north korea in terrible shape cuba in terrible shape you know, so nobody wants to emulate that. Where's everybody coming? They're coming to the United States. That's where they're coming. They're not going to that. Nobody wants that. As a matter of fact, they want just the op. There are some been really some... BB- I saw a BBC, uh, British Broadcasting, uh, thing about the growth of capitalism. It was really interesting. But here's the bottom line. You know, it's these fear types of things and anxiety. Anxiety can really run, you know, just run our lives and, and ruin... Um, You know, I like the acronym fear, you know, false evidence appearing real. And what anxiety is, just a fear of the future. And what we do is we make up stories. I mean, who made up what they're going to do? All of these things. None of this stuff is actually even being talked about anywhere that I've seen in any credible source. Uh, You know, so number one, it's just, this is just people making up stuff and fairy tales and, and talking about what's going to happen. But here's the thing. If any of this were true. You know, the, the question is, what would you do about it? You know, it was like like my conversation with my accountant friend, you know, just what happened is you're sitting here worrying about this stuff. And I think about the serenity prayer, you know, talking about you can change what you can and, uh, you know, accept what you can't change and have the wisdom to know the difference. But anxiety like this, these fears, they just rob the present of its power, You know, it's fear about the future. You're just robbing yourself of the present. And that is why so often when we're talking about dealing with anxiety, it's just shutting this stuff down. You know, turning off the TV. You know, the people that are sending you these emails and telling you this is going to happen unsubscribe, they really don't have your best interest at heart. They're trying to sell you something. Maybe trying to sell you gold and you're going, wait, wait, they're going to take all your possessions. Am I going to be able to keep my gold? And then remember, as I always like to say, They'll take your dollars for their gold. So that they really believe what they're saying. You know, so these people will try to sell you newsletters and, you know, products and things like that, that are going to protect you or food. So you can stick it in your little storage bin. I remember back in the 1960s, remember, remember the Twilight Zone and all the episodes they had on this very thing, you know, it was nuclear war. And all of these things that were going to happen and people, you know, building shelters in their basement. I remember the, the one with the doctor and then, you know, the nuclear holocaust that he was going to protect himself against. And, and then what ended up happening was that, you know, people that were kind of kidding him about building this shelter under his house. And then in the story, anyway, it actually happened in the in the TV program. And all these people came over and trying to beg him to move in. And, and it was just a, a really good Vision, a really good vision of humanity and what they do or what they would do under these circumstances. But all of these things were all stories that they said, here, this was this, all these fearful things that were going to happen, and none of them ever happened. 85% of the things we worry about don't happen. 79% of the 15% that do happen, we find we can handle better than we thought we could. That leaves very little that we really should worry about. And the thing is, is what are you going to do about it anyway? What's your faith in? That's a really good question to ask. Don't rob the present by thinking about the future and worrying about it. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do? Go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one!